from their churches. And it seems to have left these people confused or discouraged or both. And so this is a passage that's designed to strengthen and assure confused and discouraged Christians. If you arrive here this morning, confused or discouraged, this is a wonderful passage for you this morning. Here in this passage, John gives no commands. He refers to a command, but he doesn't actually ask them to do anything. Instead, he reminds them of what they've heard from him before, and he reminds them of how the gospel has already radically changed them. Do you know, sometimes what Christians need to hear isn't something new, but something old. Sometimes what we need isn't do this, but simply, Christian, remember who you are. Remember who you are. We are forgetful. We're easily distracted. We can become discouraged and we need reminders of who we are in Christ. So this passage is a friendly reminder and a word of assurance. There's a friendly reminder that in Christ we've become a people who love one another. And it's an assurance, it's a word of assurance that we've become a people whose sins are forgiven. Dearly beloved members of God's family. So the, the call today isn't going to show up on your to-do list. It's a call from God to remember who you are. May this passage bring you encouragement. May this passage bring you hope and assurance as you travel the road to heaven. So, two points. First is this. We're going to talk about a new, excuse me, an old commandment. It's a little confusing because he talks about first an old and then a new commandment. But look back, keep your Bibles open, please, as we go through this, and look back at verse 7. He says, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, let me just give you a word about John, the guy who's writing this. John is a recycler. He likes to keep coming back to the same themes. He likes to reuse them over and over. If you are, as I know many of you are, if you're an engineer, if you're an analyst, if you're a scientist, you'll probably find John difficult. He may not be your favorite Bible author. You probably like Luke, the historian, or Paul with his logic. John isn't like that. For you creative types... Artists, musicians, poets, John is your guy. You're going to like this guy. John thinks in images, light and dark. He circles back to the same themes over and over. He speaks sort of poetically. We'll see there's sort of a, a poem. Verses 12 through 14 are sort of a two-stanza poem. And so 
John kind of works that way. I love how God inspires people to speak for him, all kinds of different people. And when God's word comes to us, it comes through the, the container, the unique vessel that that person is. So in, the, in verse 7, John is saying, listen, churches, I've got nothing new to say to you. I don't have a new commandment. I've got an old commandment. I'm going to remind you of what you had from the beginning. I'm going to remind you of the word that you have heard. What is the old commandment that is the word that they've heard? Well, I think he's just talking about the gospel. He's saying, whatever I am saying to you now, it's as old as the gospel. It's, it goes back to the beginning of your experience with God. And then in verse 8, it seems to change his mind. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. See, so you engineers and analysts are already like, hey, come on, John, make up your mind. This is, but this is what John is like. He's going he's to say it's, it's an old commandment. Well, no, wait a second. It actually is a new commandment. It's kind of both. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's he talking about? He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. Now, we'll see as we work through get to verses 9 and 11, and as we work through the rest of the letter, clearly this new commandment that he has in view is the one that we, Abby read for us a moment ago in John 13. Jesus says to John and his disciples, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then these important words, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. John knew what the new commandment was. Now, why is the new commandment new? A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another. Well, wait a second. That's not new. You can find the call to love one another in lots of the places, in lots of places in the Old Testament, Jesus' Bible. How is it that this command to love one another that Jesus is giving to his disciples, that John has in turn taught to these churches, how is it new? It's new because of what Jesus says next. This commandment I give to you, this new commandment, to love one another because or just as I have loved you. That's the new part. And oh, that's the best part. Christians love one another because just as Christ has loved us. Got to get the order right. And then, what John writes is, this new commandment is true in him, in Christ, and it's true in you. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, Brothers and sisters, you've been loved by Christ. That's true. And you've begun to love one another. That's true too. It's true about him. It's true about you. We love because we've been loved. And so what is true about Jesus becomes true of us. Now John has been actually setting this up through these first couple of chapters. How is it possible for Christians to love one another? Well, for all this to take place, first, Jesus has to love us. That's the sequence. And so Jesus came 
was manifest, eternal life became flesh. And so John 1, uh, excuse me, 1 John 1, 1 to 4, he talks about how Christ became one of us. John says, I heard him, I saw him, I touched him. The, this life was manifest to us. And now we're proclaiming him to you. That's the first step in being able to become people who love. But there's more that's needed. What's also needed, we saw in the rest of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, and that is that this God who is light in whom there is no darkness has to find a way for our sins, darkness, to be able to be righteously put away so that we who are darkness can become light and come into his light. And how does that happen that happens when Jesus volunteers to become the propitiation for our sins which Justin talked about last week so we can be forgiven brought out of darkness make our home in the light with him and have fellowship with him all this is saying something profound you've heard a lot of words this week you're not going to hear anything more important than this Jesus Christ when he appeared on the earth, literally changed the world. He did. John tells us this. Look back in verse 8. What I am writing to you is true in him and true in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What does he mean? He means... That when Jesus came to earth, darkness' days became numbered. Darkness is on its way out. Jesus came and established his kingdom, his kingdom of light. The light of the world came and began to shine on the earth. He planted himself right here in darkness's front yard and one day he will come back to finish what he has started. And so darkness is passing away. Its days are numbered because Christ died, rose again, ascended to heaven and he's coming back. And when he comes back, darkness is done. Evil is done. Sin is done. Death is done. Gone. That's what's coming. Light's going to win, and you are part of it in Christ. What's true of Christ is now true of you. And so with that in mind, John gives these churches, these believers who are confused and discouraged, he gives them a test. This is the test of love. In the last section, there was a test of obedience, but here's a test of love. This is a diagnostic He's sort of giving, this is like wisdom literature. There's sort of, there's two ways to live. There's a way of darkness. There's a way of light. There's a way of hate. There's a way of love. So look back at verse 9. He begins to lay out this test for them. He says, whoever says, people are saying this, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Can you see that? Whoever says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. That's a hypocritical saying. It's not accurate. Okay? What does it say about us if we hate our brothers? What does it say about us if we fundamentally do not love God's people? He's saying, what it says about you is you're in darkness. 
That's the grade that you get from that test. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, lives, dwells in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Here's the other side of the test. What does it say about us if we now love the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ? If that's, if that's become the place you live, the place where you walk out your life, the grade there is you belong to God. You're like him. You're living in the light. You're loving because Christ has loved you. And then he reiterates one more time because he's a recycler. He's going to say, if you didn't catch this in verse 9, try this. Whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He, he's saying, when, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we'd have birthday parties and there'd be a pinata. Did you ever have birthday parties with a pinata? And, you know, there's this paper mache whatever animal or shape or whatever whatever it is hanging from a tree full of candy and you get a bat and you get to whack the thing to get the candy out the only problem is what do they do they put a blindfold on you right and then they turn you around about three times and they always turn you pointing the wrong direction <laughs> hit the tree hit the house hopefully you don't hit people but so that's fun at a at a birthday party but that's walking in darkness like you have no idea, unless you're peeking and cheating, you have no idea where you are and watch out for the kid with the bat with the blindfold on. Well, that's fine at a birthday party, but do you know what he's saying? He's saying there are people with blindfolds on driving, going, at, going showing up at work, going through life, living in darkness. And the test here is, do you love or hate the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Now this is an important moment here because you need to understand this test functions differently than most of the time, most of the tests that you, you take. He's actually already told them their grade before he gave them the test. Did you notice that? Look back with me in verse 8. Let's look at it once more. He says, I'm writing this new commandment to you, which is true in him and true in somebody else. Who? True in you. Are you a Christian? Hear this. The love that's true in Christ is also true in you. And so what John is doing with this test is he isn't giving them this test so they can examine themselves to find out whether they're in or out. He's doing this to encourage them that they're in. That this is who they are. He's reminding them of who they are. Sometimes we need to be reminded you've become a person who loves. You're not the same anymore. You've moved from darkness to light. And this is that time for you, brothers and sisters. Hear this word. Maybe an illustration. Imagine you, you've been in a terrible car accident. Can't get the sound out of your ears and the sights out of your memory. People were injured. Cars were wrecked. It was completely the fault of the other driver. He was drunk and texting at the same time. It's not your fault. 
You are, in fact, an excellent driver. But that experience has left you not wanting to get behind the wheel again. And your friend comes alongside, sits down next to you and says, hey, you know what? Whoever says they're a good driver and drives drunk, that person causes accidents. Whoever stays alert, sober, eyes on the road, that's the excellent driver. And my friend, that's who you are. So come on, here's the keys. Let's go for a ride. Let's get going again. Brothers and sisters, sometimes life gets hard, doesn't it? Sometimes we get discouraged. Maybe you've had a close friend deconstruct their faith and walk away from Jesus. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family and you get tired of holding God's standards when no one else does. Maybe you're getting pressure from friends to stop being so fanatical about Jesus. Maybe you've been affected by these dear saints who've left way too soon. Alex Diber, Don Jennings, Sidney Fox, Bruce Micah, Sylvia Cranach, flowers from Jane Sands' service yesterday. It can get hard, can it? get discouraged, confused. Is it really real? Should I keep going? Why? And God brings you to church. It sits you down in front of 1 John 2. And he says, dear ones, remember who you are. What's true of Christ has become true of you. You've become a people who love. You're not the same. This past week, I saw this. Jane had a heart attack on Saturday. Went home to be with the Lord early Tuesday morning. No plan, no expectation this was going to happen. Sudden. Sarah Jane, daughter, just had a baby that morning. She's sitting in my office at 9 o'clock. How can, how can I help? Rachel Ball got her own baby. What can I do? Let's, let's honor Jane. Elders, I needed to miss the meeting Tuesday night. I was exhausted. I'd been up late the night before at the hospital. Nothing but encouragement. We'll pray for you. Got the little prayer thing in the mail. Prayed for you. No pressure. Lisa Deck, how many emails this week? Prayer team. Friends. Jane had so many friends, we kept getting in trouble at the hospital because everybody kept trying to come in. They're trying to pandemic, keep it down to four people, and the nurse kept coming out saying, you got to stop these people from coming to the door. 
I didn't see that happen with any of the other patients there in the hospital, but boy, did it happen with Jane, because boy, did you love her. Cindy Graves, Julie Flanagan, Sissy, Haley and Andrew, Karen, Mache, Marlene, people praying outside day after day. Friends for Amelia, Katie and Mimi. Dave Hinders, John Hadro coming out, Jane's brother, came out for a couple days, spent the week just to help. Marilyn, Jenny, Jenna, Nancy, Jeannie, Stacy. My sister and my bride stood with me and encouraged me. How do I know this is all real? Here's how I know. Because I saw the love of Christ in action all week. Saw it. It's not normal. It's not humanly possible. It's the light of God shining in hearts of people who now no longer live for themselves. Kenneth and Vince, my dear friends, thank you for loving me with the love of Christ. Sorry, I told you this wasn't going to be very polished. What happened this week only happens to people who have been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit. Be encouraged encouraged. All right, Jacob, turn me off for a second. I got to blow my nose. I probably shouldn't do that there, should I? Okay. All right, verse 12. Here's an assurance of forgiveness. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Without going into... A lot of details. There's a number of ways to try to understand who are these little children, fathers, and young men. Where are the women? What, what does this all mean? I'm not going to explain all the reasons why, but I, I, I think he's just talking to the church. I think the things that he's saying about these people, these groups, are true of all Christians. And I'm going to just read this to you and, and, and open this up very briefly in, in that way. I think the idea here is that Christians, all of us, can have the innocence of children and the zeal of youth and the wisdom of maturity. And as he cycles through these groups, he, he speaks to each one twice. And I'm going to just summarize for you what's here because, again, there are no commands. But listen to what he says. Children, little children. This is how he commonly speaks to the church. My little children. It's not a, it's not a put down. It's a term of endearment. He says, little children, your sins are forgiven for his namesake and you know the Father. 
So brothers and sisters, hear this. Your sins are forgiven. And you know the Father. In Christ, this is true of you. Forgiven of what? Forgiven of every transgression, every iniquity, the ones you're aware of and the ones you're not. His blood covers it all. Fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. John uses this from the beginning phrase a lot and not always in the same way, but here it would seem to mean, O saints, you know the eternal God, the one who brought the beginning into being, who spoke time and the universe into existence. You know the God who never changes, the God who created the heavens and the earth. You don't just know about him. You can do more than just pass a theology test. You have come into a life-giving relationship with the invisible, eternal God who is light. You know him. And finally, young men, you've overcome the evil one, you're strong, and you have the word of God abiding in you. Think about that. Do you think about yourself as someone who's overcome the evil one? There's a sense in which we're engaged in spiritual battle and warfare until we go home. But there's a sense in which, get this, you have overcome the evil one. That is God's word. I didn't make that up. You have overcome the evil one. How? How did we do that? How did that happen? Well, the fall into sin in the garden was through temptation to believe lies, right? Satan tempted Adam and Eve through lies and they listened to him and fell into sin. The gospel exposes Satan's lies and Christ atones for the consequences of us believing those lies and sinning and rebelling against God. And so a Christian overcomes or has overcome the evil one by rejecting the lies that we hear from the enemy. You can have a good life by dis by disregarding God's words. That's a lie. We reject that lie. You can find security and significance and hope and happiness in some created thing. No, that's a lie. And we reject that lie and we turn to Christ who defeated the devil every time and decisively by rising Again, and when we turn to him, we receive eternal life, who Christ is and what he gives. And when that happens, we have fundamentally moved kingdoms and overcome the evil one. Church, remember who you are. In the words of my friend Mike Bullmore, he tells the story of his, his father speaking to him as a teenager before he would leave the home at, at, at night to go out, he would not only say, remember who you are, but remember whose you are. Church, remember whose you are. There's a kind of gospel logic here that we need to get. The Christian life does not begin with do this, do this, and do that. That's not where it starts. The Christian life starts with God did this, and God did this, and God did this. That's where it 
starts. He loved you so you can love others. He forgave you so you can forgive others. He brings you into fellowship with him so you can have fellowship with him and fellowship with others. When you read your Bible, what are your favorite parts? Do you shop for the to-do list? Tell me what to do. Give me the list of commands. What are the things I need to obey? What are the imperatives? The Christian life isn't built on that foundation of works. It's not built on that performance before God. The Christian life doesn't start with keep the commands. It starts with remember Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Remember Jesus Christ is the most important thing. Keeping the command to love one another is empowered by constant meditation on Christ and how he's loved us. When that gets in our bones, we get power by the Spirit to go love others. Jesus came and literally changed the world. And now he's changed us. Now we can love one another. Now we want to love one another. Now we actually are loving one another. Not perfectly. Oh, so many faults, so many flaws. We'll talk about to-dos how to get to that stuff later in the letter, because John will get there. But today, it's just this, church. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Hear the word of assurance. It's true of Christ. He loved you. Has now become true of you. You love with love that he's loved you with. Hear the word of assurance. Your sins are forgiven. You've been adopted into his family. You call him father. You know the God who is light. You've overcome the evil one. You've begun to love brothers and sisters who disagree with you about lots of stuff. Because Christ has loved us, be assured that we can now love one another and be encouraged. It's already begun. It's already begun. And by God's grace, it's going to continue to the day of Christ Jesus. It occurred to me while I was meditating on this passage this week that this last part, verses 12 to 14, it functions as a word of assurance. And sometimes we talk about that in church services. Sometimes in church services we have a corporate prayer of confession. And whenever that takes place, it's important to always follow that with a word of assurance. As I was working on this passage this week, I thought, I think it would be great if that passage functioned for us this way this week. So here's, here's what we're going to do. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, and in a moment we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. If you didn't get your elements, you can go ahead and grab them now. They're in the sides on the back and on the tables upstairs. I have a corporate confession from the Book of Common Prayer that some of you may be familiar with, others not. What I want to do in a moment is read this as a group, but because you may not be familiar with it, I want to first read it to you and then if you're 
comfortable doing it, if you'd like to participate, we'll read it out loud together. So if we can go ahead and put that up. Let me just read it to you first, and then in a moment we'll, we'll say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you'd like to and are ready to say these words with me, let's pray this as a corporate prayer together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm writing to you, Redeeming Grace Church, all who've gathered here in Christ, because your sins are forgiven. You know him who's from the beginning. You've overcome the evil one. You know the Father. The word is in you, and you are strong. Receive that assurance from God. And now, take the bread, please. The body of Christ, broken for you. Eat in remembrance of him. Blood of Christ, shed for you, drink in remembrance of him. With hearts cleansed and sins forgiven, let's stand and sing. Bring 
began by telling us we're easily distracted and we need a friendly reminder. We've had a friendly reminder this morning. As you go, remember Jesus Christ. Remember whose you are and who you are. And go in the grace of the gospel. In just a moment, we're going to conclude the meeting and we're going to go out and we have an opportunity to live as God's children made new by God and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you and in me. Praise God. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. Now we get to live that praise in our world. So let's just go out and take the Lord with us and live in who we are as who we are. I'm going to share 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 in one second. But I do want to invite you, as if you're here this morning and you're grieving or you just want someone to pray for you or you're celebrating and you want someone to pray for you, you have a need, you're distracted and you want someone to pray for you, I'm just going to invite the elders to come forward here. And if you'd like to be prayed for you, we would love to pray with you. And if that would serve you, please just come on up at when we close the meeting. But as you go, may the, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and in you as you go forth into the world. Go in his grace, love, and fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday afternoon.